All right, let's get into God's Word together. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 today, and we're going to talk about the promise of rest, the promise of rest. And, you know, as a... um, as a kid, one of my favorite things to do uh, when I would go over uh, to, uh, to try to do, at least when I was a kid, to go over to someone's house to spend the night uh, was we would try to stay up all night. I don't know if you remember that as a kid, but that was like the big goal. And I remember, faintly remember the first time I can really remember doing that and what victory that that felt like, that we been bragging about that to my mom when she picked me up, you know, like we stayed up all night. And then, of course, you feel like garbage the rest of the day. Uh, but there was some sort of victory uh, that you felt in that. And, uh, um, you know, as an adult, though, things change, right? Maybe you've had a job that's kept you up all night. Maybe you've been at the hospital all night before sick. Tragedy strikes. It keeps you up. Um, a lot of different reasons that you stay up all night. It's usually not by um, just choice of fun. Um, and uh, so as a kid, it felt like a reward and like a triumph. And as an adult, it feels like punishment. Um, it's not. It's something you kind of avoid at all costs, right? We kind of look forward to bedtime sometimes. And here's the thing. We, we, we learn as we grow up that we need rest, that we are wired in such a way that we need it, our body craves it, that we don't do well without it. If you don't get enough sleep, if you don't get enough rest, you're going to get crank, crankier, uh, you're going you're gonna to act more, irri- you're going to be more irritable, um, there, it's, it's bad for you physically. We can't live without rest, actually, you know, we, we have to have it and we have to have sleep. But there is a rest that we need and a rest that that we crave that is beyond the physical, and that is a spiritual rest, even an eternal rest, I would tell you. And you can't live without the physical rest, uh, but you but you can't live you can't live spiritually or you, or you can't have eternal rest I should say and with ultimately with God in heaven without spiritual rest now and so you can't live physically without physical rest you will not experience eternity with God without spiritual rest in the here and now. Those who receive it now receive it later. But there are a lot of folks who are kind of like the kid that wants to stay up all night, who want to continue avoiding the rest that they really need. Uh, doing life their way, avoiding God's way, and in the end, they, they will ultimately find out that they're missing out on the rest that they need the most. And that's what we're going to talk about today in the book of Hebrews. You know, salvation in the Bible is spoken of in lots of different ways. Sometimes it's referred to, like in John chapter 3, as a new birth. Uh, You see this idea of being born again or born from above. It's the new birth. Uh, Sometimes it's referred to as like a death, right? Um, I've been crucified with Christ. When Christ died, I died, right? There's there's a death that occurs in salvation, but also there's a resurrection theme. Sometimes you'll hear talk about being made alive in Christ, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, raised to walk in newness of life, as we say. So we see these themes of different, and they're all talking about salvation. In Hebrews, we see it talked about in terms of rest. And it's drawing on some stuff from the all the way back to the Old Testament, and the idea of rest and Sabbath that here at North Park we've talked about even in the last uh, few months. Um, and rest uh, in Hebrews here is going to have both a present component and a future component. Salvation has a present component and it has a future component. And so this major theme of rest begins in Hebrews chapter 3. Now, we're going to pick up in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 today, um, but, and it continues over into through the end of chapter 4. But before uh, we begin to read, I want to kind of tell you what's happening and what happened in verses 1 through 6. The writer had been talking about in the first two chapters this idea of Jesus being greater than the angels, better than the angels, superior to the angels, and he hits that theme a few times. Well, in chapter 3 verse 1 he starts talking about how Jesus is better than Moses. He's greater than Moses. He is superior to 
Moses. He's worthy of more glory, he says, than Moses, just as the builder of a house has more, has more honor than the house. He says that Moses was a faithful servant in God's house, but Jesus is the faithful son over God's house. Now, God's house is God's people. And so Jesus is the son of God, Moses a servant of God, and then he tells us, you and I, the people, or people who believe in Christ, we are God's house, his people. So um, if we hold fast to Jesus, we prove ourselves to in fact be God's house, to be God's people. So he encourages us to hold fast to Jesus to prove that out. And then he, he warns us with an example from the Old Testament of a people who did not hold fast, of a people who did not really show themselves to really have faith, to really be um, people who had come into God's rest, God's salvation. So look with me in Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 7. I'm going to read, beginning here, I'm going to read down through verse um, 11. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So what is happening here? He is quoting from Psalm 95. Now, I actually taught through Psalm 95 just a few months ago uh, when we did a series called Rhythms and when we talked about worship. And we talked through, that, talked through that whole psalm. So if you want deeper teaching on that, I would encourage you to go find that on our website if you missed it. But so that's what he's quoting from in verses 7 through 11. He's quoting from Psalm 95. And just to kind of... Uh, bring you up to speed on what's happening there. In the Old Testament, uh, God's people, as you remember, were delivered out of slavery to Egypt, and they were promised a land, uh, the land of Canaan, the, the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land, as we call it. It would be a place where they could find real rest, rest coming out of slavery, rest from their enemies, rest from wars. And they had been slaves, and now they were going to be free, and they were going to have this great place to live. And in Exodus 17, God's people are out in the wilderness, right? And they're complaining as they're wandering around. As he mentions here, 40 years, if you're familiar with the story of them wandering in the wilderness between coming into the land of Canaan and leaving Egypt. And as they're doing that, they begin to complain in the wilderness because there's a lack of water. Now, they had seen a series of miracles done to deliver them. Uh, God had literally parted the Red Sea to deliver them. But rather than trust in God, they didn't believe him. They didn't believe him. And they finally, um, they, 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 they doubt God. And they, they doubt that God can provide for them. And, they, and this kind of happens over and over and over again. When they finally come to the land of Canaan, they send spies in to check it out. And some of the spies, most of the spies, all but one, um, um, go in and they come back with, with this report. We can't take the land. Man, these, these guys are huge. We're little. There's more of them than us. There's this, there's that. All these negative reasons why they could not take the land. And the people, rather than believe a good report from the one lone guy named Caleb, they chose to believe the bad report from the other guys and chose to believe, be faithless. Even though God had promised the land, they, they, were, they were faithless and believed the bad report. And that generation ultimately died off without the promised land. They failed to obtain it. And the writer of Psalm 95 uses that story to warn the people of his day in the book of Psalms. Uh, that the, and the writer of Hebrews warns people in his day and warns us um, of the same type of thing. That we, this is an example that it is possible uh, to hear God's voice, to hear God's word, to know what you're supposed to do, to, and to fail to believe God, to fail to obey God, to ultimately miss out on the rest of God, the rest that God offers. They missed out on the land of 
Canaan, but there's a deeper rest, a better rest than the promised land, an ultimate rest, which is found in Christ. So look with me starting in verse 12. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now let's skip down to verse 16. He says, for who, who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt and led, uh, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter the cause of unbelief. There's that warning. So chapter 3, we see him warning them against repeating the mistakes of the past. Just because you visibly identify with God's people, he is saying, doesn't mean you're actually one of God's people. Just because you identify with the house doesn't mean you're part of the house of God. Just because you claim to know God doesn't mean you know God. Just because you say, right, or you're around it. Just because you hear God's word doesn't mean you've applied God's word. Just because you've heard the gospel doesn't mean you've believed the gospel. And those that remain in unbelief, those that have an unbelieving heart, and those that are hardened by sin, those that harden their heart in sin and unbelief will ultimately fail to enter God's rest, which we know is pointing ultimately to salvation. In verse 18, he says they're called disobedient. Um, They're called disobedient, and they are also said to have had unbelief. Disobedience and unbelief go hand in hand. Do you see that there? Let me read it for you one more time. To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And then verse 19, so we see that they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. Disobedience, unbelief are connected, right? If you don't believe God, you won't obey God. If you don't obey God, it's because you don't believe God. Um, Our belief ultimately manifests itself in obedience, and unbelief ultimately manifests itself in disobedience. Now let's go over to chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he, who said, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Verse 5, and again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Now look down at verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So let's stop there. And so here's what I want to share with you today. I want to share with you the promise of God's rest. There's a promise to be taken hold of here in these chapters, and that is that we can take hold of God's rest, and that is a promise. There's the promise of rest for our souls both now and later. Then there's a danger 
And the danger is that we can miss out on that rest. Uh, that we can be people that are around a lot of people even that are going to enter that rest and miss out on that rest. We can know about the rest. We can hear about the rest. We can, we can hear the gospel. We can hear the word. But we can fail to believe, fail to apply. And there's a, so there's a danger of missing out. And then I want to share with you what our response needs to be. There's some responses from us in light of all this, in light of this danger, in light of this promise. There are some responses that he urges to us. So number one, let's talk about the promise. And the promise is rest for your soul now and later. The key promise, see there in verse one, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. And that's kind of the key theme uh, of this section of, script, of scriptures. It is the key theme. Now, the rest you see is termed uh, God's rest or his rest when, it, when you see it referred to throughout this section. He says it's those who believe who have entered that rest, God's rest. He even in verse 4 brings up God's rest on the seventh day from creation. Just as God rested from his work at the end of creation, he invites us now into his rest. Our rest is a share in his rest. It is promised by God. It is given by God. It is secured by God, and it is only found in God through Christ Jesus. The Sabbath day that was instituted in the Old Testament was about more than taking a day off. It was even about more than a day of worship. It, it, was, it was important for all those reasons. They needed physical rest, and it was important um, for, for spiritual components, a day to remember and to commemorate um, God, his word, to worship. All that's important, but ultimately it was pointing to a rest that we ultimately need that can only be found in Jesus Christ. That's why in verse 8 and 9 and 10 he says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have not have spoken of another day later on. In other words, the, when they went into Canaan, that wasn't ultimately the rest, so it wasn't even the promised land. There's a deeper rest, rest beyond that. Verse, verse 9, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So there's still a rest available. The taking of the land was not the ultimate rest. The Saturday Sabbath is not the ultimate rest. There remains a Sabbath. There remains a rest. God's rest, salvation, and that's the promise that he's talking about here. Now, this promise of this rest has both a present and a future component. So let's talk about that. The present component. We, we rest from our works righteousness. We rest from trying to be good enough. We rest from um, doing enough in order to earn the favor of God. And we rest in Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus has done everything that needs to be done in order to secure our salvation. One of the things the book of Hebrews lays out in its chapters beautifully is how Jesus has secured our atonement. He has laid down his life for our sin. He is uh, as a sacrifice for our sins. He has bore our sins in his body. He has taken the wrath of God, absorbed that. He has went to the cross, shed his blood for us so that we can be forgiven of sin. He is resurrected from the dead. It's not about how good we are. It's about Jesus and resting in him. The believer is not resting in our works. We're not resting in what we've done, but what Christ has done. Not in our works, but in Christ's work. We rest in good, the good news that Jesus lived the sinless life that we can't live, died the death we deserve to die, and is risen from the dead. We rest in Jesus. And that provides, that when, the moment we do that, we enter God's rest in the here and now, in the present sense of salvation, I believe, uh, is, is what this would point to. And that provides, by the way, an incredible relief. I don't have to carry my sin around. I don't have to be exhausted by trying to be good enough to earn God's favor. Jesus pointed to this in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. 
In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In other words, if you're laboring under, under sin and shame and guilt, if you're laboring, trying to, just broken down by the system, trying to earn your way, make your way, be good enough, keep enough rules, keep enough laws, and hoping that you can earn God's favor, Jesus says, come to me, I'll give you real rest. Man, lay that down, take my yoke upon you. So it provides incredible relief, and it provides incredible peace. Listen, I don't have to carry the guilt of my sin, the guilt of my shame. My sins are forgiven. My soul can be at rest. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, the believer who has placed their faith in Christ has peace with God. In other words, I'm no longer at war with God. Um, I'm no longer an enemy of God. I'm a friend of God. I'm a child of God. I am loved by God. I'm in God's family. And that gives me that having peace with God allows me to walk through life with the peace of God. There's a, there's a peace that comes with this. You know, there are a lot of people who are constantly anxious, restless, because they still carry guilt and sin and shame. Uh, they feel like it's going to catch up with them. They feel like it's going it, to bring them down. Their sin problem has not been dealt with. So there's no internal rest. There's a war with God going on. So there's no peace of God going on. And you need the peace. You need the rest that only Christ can provide. You know, years ago, I went backpacking. And I uh, went like twice, right? And so, and um, and I enjoyed it. I really did. Um, but I, I'm the place we used to go. I moved off things of that nature. Friends get scattered, and so I didn't know anything about backpacking. I just had people I tagged along with, and I went like twice. And these were I'm not I'm not talking about like hey we're going backpacking like and we'll be back at lunch. I'm talking like one two night trips into the woods, camping, backpacking. And so you'd have to get a pack, not like this. This is just a this is just a nice advertisement for huge camps. But a pack kind of like this, not like not like this, but a, a bigger pack that you would pack full of like you know your sleeping bag, your food, everything. And it would usually weigh about forty pounds if you were going in there for a couple days or something like that. And um, and you would have all this stuff crammed into it, and I enjoyed it. I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. It was it was fun. It was exhilarating. All those sort of things. We had we had a blast, but it wasn't restful. Uh, it, I needed to rest when I was done. You didn't sleep real good that night. Your back hurts when you get done. And I was in my twenties. You know, this was a long time ago. And and but but there it wasn't really a way to rest. It was a good exercise. It was good camaraderie. It was a lot of things, but it wasn't restful. And you know, and a, a lot of folks are kind of walking around life with this heavy pack on. Let me show you. Okay, and so. And so they're walking around, and they've got, you know, the weight of their sin just, you know, in their life, and they're carrying that around. And, and they've got guilt from that sin, and they're, they're carrying that around. And, and they feel so ashamed of the things they've done. And, they're, they, you know, and all that is being carried around, and the fear, the fear of meeting God in judgment, the fear of being found out, all these different things. Or, hey, here's another one. This, 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 this trying to be good enough, trying to work hard enough, trying to be faithful enough, trying to, all these different things, just it gets exhausting, even very moral people that have this. And you've got all this weight, man, and it's just, and they walk around with that 
on their, on their back carrying that, and they wonder why they, why they don't feel at rest. They wonder why they don't feel at peace. They wonder how, why in the world they're spiritually exhausted. They wonder why in the world they're so anxious. Why in the world they're so fearful. Why in the world there's no, there's no inner peace in their life. And the, the reason for that is they're spiritually carrying something like this around all the time. And it's exhausted. That's why Jesus says, come to me if you're heavy laden. <laughs> this is heavy laden. This is what it looks like, trying to be good enough. This is what it looks like, carrying your sin. This is what it looks like, trying to be perfect enough. This is what it looks like, rooting your identity in your own success and, and, and other things, looking for uh, things of this world to fill a hole that only God can fill. I mean, it gets heavy, and it weighs you down. And these people go through life not really sure what the source of that restlessness is, but the truth is that what they need is peace. What they need is rest in Christ. What they need is the relief Christ offers to experience forgiveness, to experience being clothed in Christ's righteousness, and to have that weight dropped and to experience freedom and rest. And that's what we get in this life. We rest in Christ. We, we are, our future is secure. Uh, we, we have a relationship with God through Christ. And man, we get freedom from our sin. Uh, we get the rest from trying to be good enough and, and trying to, to earn our salvation or be righteous enough. And we rest in Christ and his righteousness and his work. And it provides incredible peace and incredible relief. But there's a future rest. There's a future rest. Heaven is a place we will rest from our labors. There are things that uh, still weary us in this life, in particular trials and temptations. Uh, but in heaven, there will be no trials. There will be no temptations. In the new heaven and new earth, you'll have a place that won't be stained by sin and by brokenness. And we look forward to with great anticipation to that day when we will be with God forever in that future rest but only those who believe enter in. Only those who rest in Christ now will enter that eternal rest. If you don't experience rest now, resting in Christ now, you're not going to have that rest later. Listen to what Revelation 14, 13 says. Revelation chapter 14, verse 13 says this, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Now, blessed are the dead dead who die in the Lord, right? They have a relationship with the Lord. They're in Christ. He says, blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. So heaven there being described as this idea of a place of rest from our labors. And that's our promise, believers. Upon placing our faith in Christ, we enter God's rest. And there's a present sense, and there's a future sense. There's a present salvation. There is a future salvation that those that rest in Christ now get Jesus, and later we get eternity in God's presence. That's the promise. It's incredible. It's an incredible promise of a future rest and a present rest, the rest we really need. But there's a danger. There's a danger. The danger is failing to reach it. Number two, the danger, failing to reach that rest. The danger that is warned about through chapter three and chapter four is failing to believe God, failing to obey God, to fail ultimately to enter God's rest. And he says it's open now. His rest is open now and, and anyone may enter in through Christ, but there is coming a time when no one will be able to enter except for those who already have. Chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. 
down in verse 13 of chapter 3, he says that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So in chapter 3, he warns against following the example of those in the Old Testament that failed to believe and failed to obey God. He warns against what he calls an evil, unbelieving heart and being hardened by that deceitfulness of sin. And because unbelief and sin are always connected, we sin out of a failure to believe God, we sin out of a failure to trust God, and we must understand unbelief is in fact evil. Listen, if God's word's true, if Jesus is who God's word says he is, it is evil to not believe it. It is. It's sinful to not believe it. Also understand, sin will harden your heart. Sin will harden your heart. Sin doesn't make it easier to believe. Sin hardens your heart. He talks about being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Oh, sin is so deceptive. It promises stuff it can't deliver on. And and it hardens our heart. You know, our kids like to play with Play-Doh. Um, and, um, and, and, I, and I was a kid. I loved playing with Play-Doh. And, uh, but our kids, they'll get the Play-Doh, and they'll, you know, we've got all the different colors, that, you know, and then they, of course, end up mixing them all together, and which drives me nuts. But they do all that. But every now and then, you know, they'll have this big Play-Doh thing going on at the table, and they'll clean it all up, and then you kind of forget all about it. And sometime later, you walk by, and you'll pick up a little piece of Play-Doh that got missed, and it'll be on the ground. And it's hard as a rock, right? All the moisture dries out, and it literally it like turns to cement or something like that. And stepping on one of those is probably the equivalent to like stepping on a Lego or a Barbie shoe, right? It puts you in the hospital, it seems like. I mean, it just gets hard and hard because all the moisture dries out. Just like if you take a piece of clay, a moist piece of clay, and set it out in the sun with no water, it ultimately dries out. And sin has a way of doing that to our heart. It makes us grow more and more resistant to God. We don't want to be formed and molded into his will the more we sin. The more we sin, the more we will resist it. The more we will rebel, the more we will get hardened in our ways. And only when the water of the gospel, it comes by the power of the Spirit, can our hearts be softened and transformed. Beware of a heart that's being hardened by sin and unbelief. Here's the thing the writer's concerned about. He's concerned that there would be people in the church that he is writing to or people that today that are watching this video that hear the message of the gospel, who listen to sermons, that hang out with Christians, that maybe even call themselves a Christian, that they would fail to actually be a Christian. That they'd fail to actually apply the gospel that they've heard. He says in chapter 4, verse 1, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. In verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Ultimately, they fail to reach God's rest. They fall by the same sort of disobedience that the Old Testament examples did. Unbelief. Unbelief. Do not misunderstand this. He wants us to understand it's not about associating with God's people. It's it's not about claiming to be a Christian. Those that enter God's rest are those who have trusted God, who have trusted Christ, who continue to trust Christ, and who persevere and do not fall away from him. So for the unbeliever today, he's saying this, trust Christ. Make sure you have applied the gospel. Don't merely hear the gospel. Um, Don't merely tip your cap to the gospel. Tip your hat to the gospel. Rest in the gospel. Believe the gospel. Take hold of the gospel. Believe it deeply. Drink deeply from the gospel to the point that it changes you and continue to believe it. Rest in it. He is urging that for us so that you don't miss out on it. Hearing it is not enough. Being in church is not enough. Listening to sermons is not enough. Know that you are resting in Christ. 
And for the believer, he's saying, and continue to do so. Continue to do so. Continue to believe. Continue to rest. Continue to trust. Don't fail to continue to trust God and to obey his word. And to obey his word all through you. He talks about the voice of God. Today, if you hear his voice. Today, if you hear his voice. In other words, if you hear the word of God, obey the word of God. Believe the word of God. And believing will lead to obedience. He says in verse 12 of chapter 4, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. In other words, God's word, same word that offers us this promise, warns us of a judgment. It has the ability to lay bare our heart, to reveal our heart. If we've not really believed, the word can reveal our heart. And by the way, that's good news too, because it means, hey, I can get into the word of God and I can find out that the Holy Spirit can use that word like a sword to lay my soul bare before, before, obviously before the Lord, but it can reveal things to me even. See, if we're wandering off into sin, the word can reveal it. It, it can discern our thoughts. It can discern our tensions, intentions. We, we may fool ourselves. I've been there. Have you been there? Fool ourselves. We can fool other people. You will not ever fool the word of God. And by the way, you won't fool God. He says we must all give an account to God. None of us escapes accountability before God. We are all laid bare and powerless before God. Hear the word. Believe the word. Apply the word. Or reap the judgment of the God of the word. That's the warning. That's the warning. And it, yes, it's stark. And, it's, and, but it, and he continues in Hebrews with warnings like this because he wants us to understand this, that yes, there's a promise, but there is a danger, a very real danger. And number three, let's talk about our response. In light of the danger of sin and unbelief, in light of the fact that there is this promise, but there's a danger of missing out on it, what do we do? Let me give, walk you through some things that he points us to and here's some kind of some commands he urges and give you some kind of some tips here. First, be serious about your walk with God. Be serious, and if you're not serious already, get serious about your walk with God. He says there in chapter 4, verse 1, he talks about the, the, uh, the promise of entering his rest still standing, but he says, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. That word fear carries the idea of reverence and, and awe. Um, George Guthrie writes of this uh, phrase, he says, the preacher, that's why you're referring to the writer of Hebrews because it's a sermon, he says, the preacher here exhorts his hearers to adjust their attitude concerning their present spiritual situation and to bring it in line with a reverent reflection on the gravity of being out of step with God's will. In other words, he wants us to understand that if you're not in step with God's will, if you're not resting in Christ, if you're not obeying God, if you're not believing God, that is a big stinking deal. And he wants us to understand that. We need to be serious about our walk with God. A lot is at stake. Souls are at stake. There's no place for passivity in the life of the believer. We need reverence for God's word. We need reverence for the gospel. We need to understand the seriousness of sin and unbelief and what is at stake. If you miss it, it's too late to sober up. Listen, he says, get serious. Hear the word, respond to it, believe it. And every believer uh, should, should be saying yes and, and, and amen. If you, if you don't know Christ today, if you're not sure if you do, man, listen to his, ur- his urging you here. Be fearful lest you fail to reach it. And if you're a believer that's growing complacent, be fearful lest you fail to reach it. Because our salvation is secure. But we, if, you're really, if we genuinely get saved, 
We can never lose that. It's never taken away. We can never forfeit that. We talk about being once saved, always saved. But the thing is, you have to be saved. You have to be saved. You have to have entered the rest. You have to have actually rested in Christ. He's warning us here, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Anybody can be fooled. Be serious about your walk with God. Next, believe and continue to believe. Read some of the verses here. Chapter 4, verse 3, he says, For we who have believed enter that rest. It's entered by believing. Back in chapter 3, verse 14, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Chapter 4, verse 11, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Chapter 4, verse 14, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Now, we didn't read this one, so I want to jump down and read it. Chapter 4, verse 14, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. See, we enter by believing the faith of the Bible. Genuine faith is a faith that will trust God, believe God, who trusts and rests in Christ, that will ultimately obey his word. And we need to rest in Christ, and we need to continue to rest in Christ. Starting today, he makes a big emphasis here throughout the passage about this idea of, um, in a few verses, about this idea of today, today, today if you hear his voice, today if you hear his voice, today it remains open, today, 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 because there's an urgency there. The time to believe God, the time to believe Christ, the time to believe on Christ is, is today, not tomorrow. There may not be a tomorrow. It's today. It's today. It's today. There's an urgency with this. So start today if you haven't. Dr. Al Mohler says of this idea of striving to enter God's rest in verse 11, he says we must strive to enter God's rest. In other words, we must work at resting. This means we must work against all our efforts to prove our righteousness. We must strive against all our efforts to justify ourselves. We've got to remind ourselves constantly that I'm not justified by my works. It's not about how good I am or how good I'm not. It's about Christ and about what Christ has done. And, 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 and I'm going to rest in him. And I'm not going to prove myself by my own righteousness. I'm going to rely on his righteousness. We must not get our eyes off of Jesus. And on to us. We must not think we are saved by grace, but kept by our works. Don't stop resting in Christ. And don't start resting in you. It's kind of like I've, I've explained it this way before. But, you know, repentance and faith in Christ is like, is like and, and this is an old illustration I heard years ago. Is like um, taking on a new posture. It's kind of like uh, I'm sitting on a stool here, and 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 when I sit down in that stool, uh, I'm resting in it. Right? It's like a new posture I've assumed uh, when I sit down here. And 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 when you trust Christ, when you put your faith in Christ, when you believe the gospel, uh, when you repent of your sin and put your faith in Christ, you assume that posture. Right? You sit down. You rest in Christ. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, "Stay there. <laughs> Don't get up." Uh, don't go rest in something else. Don't move. Continue to rest in Christ in repentance and faith. It's a posture that you assume that you stay in for the rest of your life. And we must persevere. We persevere in faith. We must not give up on Christ. We must hold fast our confession, hold our original confidence until the end. As the late Dr. Adrian Rogers said, the faith that fizzles before the finish had a flaw from the first. Real faith, saving faith, real belief in Christ continues. Saving faith continues. So believe and continue to believe. Thirdly, draw near to Jesus for help. Draw near to Jesus for help. Look down at verses 15 and 16 of chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. As we said last week, Jesus is our high priest. He took on human flesh that he might live that sinless life and die for us and be raised again. And he's able to sympathize with us. He has been tempted but did not sin. He has been through the trials and the pain of life, even death. And he says, so with confidence, draw near to him. Draw near to the throne of grace. Come to Christ for mercy, for grace when you're in need. When you're struggling with temptation, you have a high priest who has been tempted but didn't sin. When you're struggling in a trial, you have a high priest who offers mercy and grace to help you in that journey. And here's the thing, when you struggle, when you are tempted to fail to believe God, when you're tempted to not trust God, when you're tempted to disobey God, when you are tempted to get your eyes off of Jesus, you'll also be tempted to not draw near. Guilt, shame, will say stay away, be ashamed, <laughs> stay away, he don't want to hear you right now. Who are you to pray right now? Who do you think you are? When, when, you're, when you're tempted to doubt, when you've got questions about your faith, when you're going through a difficult time in your faith, you may hear a little voice that says, you don't want to pray right now. You should be ashamed that you even had that thought, that you're even struggling with this. That voice is not God. That voice is not God. He says, draw near. Because God's word says, draw near. When you're struggling, draw near to the throne of grace. Receive help. When you feel unworthy, draw near. When you feel ashamed, draw near. When you feel broken, draw near. When you feel disappointed or you feel like a disappointment, draw near. Listen, when you doubt, draw near. When you have questions, draw near. The Christian life, the life of rest in Christ is meant to be lived constantly drawing near to Christ. We need intimacy with Christ. The word of God, prayer, that's how we draw near throne of grace come to Christ and fourthly lastly last response here encourage and be encouraged encourage and be encouraged he says back in chapter 3 verse 13 but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin exhort one another encourage one another prod one another along the church is to be a community of encouragement and exhortation we need one another we need to model faithfulness for one another we encourage each other that way we need to hold one another accountable we encourage one another that way we need to point one another to jesus we encourage one another that way we need to be in a community of encouragement he says as long as it's called today there's an opportunity to trust christ to heed god's word and to encourage each other in that encourage one another you know so thankful for the technology that allows us to get the message this morning into your living room, onto your phone, wherever and however you're watching. Praise God for that. But let's be careful and understand that it is not a replacement for the gathering of God's people, for the gathering of encouragement that we get there. There's, those that aren't able to gather now should miss it should long for it, should hunger for it, and should rejoice as soon as you're able to. Your soul needs it. You need that encouragement. It, it's part of the recipe for your journey of faith that God has for you. We don't live the Christian life as a lone ranger. We live it in community. Living our Christian life just out there wandering around by ourselves. That, that idea is completely absent from the Bible. We need one another. And listen, the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone, and the church is not meant to be a virtual gathering. It's not. We're thankful that we have it, but... But this isn't the main thing. We, we need one another. We need in-person encouragement. We need to sing together. We need to study together. We need to pray together. We need to fellowship together. We need one another. So let me ask you, have you entered God's rest through faith 
in Christ? Have you taken hold of that promise? Or are you in danger of missing it? I encourage you, come to Christ today. Today. Today, if you hear his voice. Don't waver in unbelief. Come to Christ today. Rest in him. Believe in him. Put your faith in the gospel. Believe that, yes, you're a sinner. Yes, you you have done things to separate you from God. Yes, you're deserving of God's judgment. But Christ has come. And he has lived the life you couldn't live. A sinless life before God. He has died the death you deserve to die. Bearing your sins on the cross taking the punishment you deserve, bearing God's wrath for you. He has risen from the dead and only through faith in him, only by turning from your sin and putting your faith in Christ can you be saved. Do you believe that? If you'll rest in Christ right now, if you never have, if you've got questions or you're wondering about it, I always tell people, go to Christ, rest in Christ. Believe that good news, rest in him. If you do that today or if you've got questions about that today, contact us. You can reach out at info at gonorthpark.com. We'd love to celebrate with you if you're resting in Christ for the first time. We'd love to pray for you. We would love to help you if you've got questions about what it means to follow Christ. Rest in him today. And secondly, believers, for all of us who are listening today, who have heard the gospel, who say we believe the gospel, be serious about your walk with God. Believe and continue to believe the gospel. Draw near to Jesus when you go through difficult, dark, and troubling times. And encourage one another in community. We need to be encouraged. We need to give encouragement. We need one another in this journey. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful today for the rest that is ours, your rest that you offer us in Christ. Thank you for Jesus. Help us, Lord, to believe, hold to, and walk in the truth of your word. Thank you for the... for. The fact that we can know you through faith in Christ. Thank you for those who have placed their faith in Christ. Help us to just can faithfully walk with you, to continue in our faith and, and to be strong in it. I pray for anyone watching today who has never trusted Christ. I pray for the one watching, Lord, who, who's been through the motions maybe, who maybe has even uh, professed a faith, but deep down they know they've never genuinely uh, been born again. They've never genuinely entered that rest. They've never genuinely trusted Christ. Lord, would you draw them to Christ today? and help them to believe and to make that known, to help them to rest in Christ. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Christ. Help us to rest in him throughout this week and to point others to him. In Jesus' name, amen.